Tonight we're continuing on in this series, and we're talking about an important topic, which is sexuality. Sexuality is something that we all think about and deal with and wonder about, and it's a part of our lives. Sexuality is everywhere, isn't it? We're immersed in sexuality in this culture, for better or worse. Starting out in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Amen? Amen, Amen all the men said. So the, the Bible is obviously true. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. Like, I think that what happened is that God created Adam, and he was in the garden, the first man, and, and God saw him there all alone, and, and he was, you know, enjoying the garden. I'm sure he was, like, swinging in hammocks, and he was swimming in lakes, and he was having a good old time, and God said, we can't leave this guy all alone, right? I mean, look at him. I mean, he's so cute, but he's just helpless. This is just, like, not good, right? So, so God said, Adam, I got... I got something for you. I'm going to bring you a companion. I'm going to bring you someone to share your life with, and you're going to love, and it's going to be great. And so I think what God did then was he started kind of giving Adam some teaser gifts. Yeah. Like, I think that's what he did where, that, like, my wife, for example, she's a good gift giver. And what she'll do when she gives you gifts is she'll start with small gifts, and she'll work her way towards the finale gift, you know, and so I think that's what God did. He started to form the wild animals, it says. And he formed the birds and the wild animals. And, and he brought them to Adam to name. And Adam was like, ooh, this is fun. Uh, hippopotamus, that's a good word. Um, moo cow. Like, I like that. But see, he's evaluating these animals like, oh, man, like, this is so much fun. These are, these are great animals. But then I think he was probably thinking, mm, not quite what I had in mind. And God was like, just wait, my friend. Just wait. And then we read in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed. At last. You know what I'm saying? You know that feeling, right? Right, when you've been waiting, and there it was, woman. There she was, what, he, what he'd been waiting for, the perfect companion who was just right for him. And then it goes on to say, and the two are united into one. They're married, they're united into one. And that is the just right combination which God designed. That we would have a man and a woman they would be united into one in marriage, and that's how God designed men and women to join together to become one, one in marriage, one family, one checking account, one Netflix account, amen, and come together as one sexually. Sexuality is a part of God's design when he says that they come together and they're united into one. And then in Matthew 19 in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, he refers to this very passage. He quotes from this passage and he is reaffirming God's design for marriage and sexuality. 
Then it goes on to say in verse 25, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Right? And so this verse has some theologically deep implications that they were without sin and that with, before God they were vulnerable and there was no guilt because there was no sin. But then I think there's some practical ampl- implications from this verse. They were naked and they got it on and they weren't apologizing for it. Okay? So what I want you to know tonight, first and foremost, is that sex is a gift from God. Okay, you missed your chance, some of you. That was where I thought that surely all of you would be like, amen. This is the one time you were going to say, don't act so religious like you're not grateful that God created sex, all right? Sex is a gift from God. Now, some guy came to church tonight with his friend. What has God ever done for me? He created sex, bro. You're like, fair enough. All right, I'll worship him now. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. I'll do it. I'll sing now. He is good, right? So it just tells you how much God loves you and how good he is and how creative he is. He created sex for men and women to enjoy in marriage. Now, some of you guys didn't really grow up talking about sex, especially not in church. If you were part of a conservative upbringing, maybe sex was something that was not discussed or talked about. And maybe you still feel bashful to talk about it. But I think it's an important topic for all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ. This is an important topic. It's something that we all think about. So some important questions for you as a disciple of Jesus is this. How is your, how's your prayer life? How is your Bible reading time with God? You need to talk to God and spend time with him in prayer and reading his word. Here's another important discipleship question. How's your money situation doing? Because that's something that we all stress out about, right? So we got we to gotta wonder about that. And then another important question is, how is your sex life, right? That's something that we should ask each other. Well, ask, ask your friends that. Don't ask strangers. Don't. That's not like we, we don't ask like first-time guests that question, right? You know what I'm saying, like in appropriate settings, in your life group. It's an important question because our sex lives are something that we think about. And, of course, um, we see that God didn't just create sex to be enjoyed. He created it as something that is physically good for you. Did you know that? Here are some of the sexual benefits that we experience. Sex boosts your immune system. It reduces pain. Yes. It lowers blood pressure, right? Sex improves sleep. It reduces stress and depression. It boosts testosterone in men, and it boosts estrogen in women. Gives you that better skin glow. It lowers the risk of osteoporosis. You burn five times more calories having sex than you do watching TV. It's true. I'm trying to help you with your fitness plan, right? Trying to lose some weight? Get off the couch. Get into the bedroom, my friend. And then this is my favorite stat I've ever read in my entire life. Men who have sex two times per week are half as likely to die of heart disease. What? So husbands, if your wife's not in the mood, you can tell her, come on, you're killing me here. Literally, you're killing me. God designed sex to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. And in fact, in the New Testament, Paul says, don't withhold it from each other. Amen. Once again, I thought everyone was going to be like, amen, right? Like, it says, don't withhold it from each other unless you both agree. And even then, only for a short amount of time so that you can pray and you can fast. But don't wait too long. Come back together and, and enjoy. 
Sex is designed for marriage, and we see that because when we uh, have sex in marriage, it, oxytocin is a chemical that's released in our brain, which causes us to trust our spouse and to bond with our spouse. And that's why when people have sex before they're married or outside of marriage, you experience so much more painful breakups and, and so much more heartache because you're essentially bonding with that person and then breaking up. And it's very painful. God designed sex to be something that's in marriage. And when you're married and committed to one another, man, it's safe. It's enjoyable. You don't have to ask, um, do you have any STDs that I don't know about? Um, You don't have to worry about getting pregnant. Maybe you worry about it a little bit, but you don't have to really worry. You know there's a committed relationship and sex is to be enjoyed without anxiety or heartache. Now, if you're not married yet, I want you to look forward to what God has in store for you. You're like, oh, trust me, I'm looking forward to it. You didn't have to tell me that. But I also want you to know that God's design is perfect. And so even though right now if you're single and you're waiting to be married, you might struggle in this season of waiting, trust me that it's worth it. And in Song of Solomon, the whole book of the Bible about sex, can you believe God did that? He says this, chapter 2, verse 7, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. So maybe your love life is like a gazelle, or graceful like a deer, or maybe it's awkward like a giraffe. But we're told that when you're single, you want to not awaken love until the time is right. That's the message here. So in other words, this is a warning and it's encouragement to anyone that's single. Um, Don't get involved in physical relationships until the time is right, until you're married. You don't want to stir that part of you up and make it harder for you than it already is while you're waiting for that marriage relationship to come along. So be careful about which shows you watch and which television shows um, you're you're taking into your heart. when you're dating, that you're not being physical and crossing that line. Be careful about the romance novels that you read. You want to allow that part of you to rest until you're in a loving, committed relationship in marriage with another person who loves Jesus, okay? So, so just trust God that waiting for his best plan for your life is worth it. In this book, uh, Song of Solomon compares your love life to a garden, Right, And it says that you want to protect your garden and keep predators out of your garden so that when your spouse comes along, you'll have a flourishing, healthy garden to welcome them into. Right? So this is encouragement, and it's, uh, it's good wisdom. Now, we see that sex is a beautiful thing. It's a gift from God, but like all things, sin corrupts sex. And that's been a pattern of this series, that God's design is perfect, but that sin corrupts what is beautiful and perfectly designed by God. Sin, which entered the world by our own choosing as men and women who were given free will and chose to rebel against God because of our rebellion, sin entered the world. And you're like, well, that's not fair. I wasn't in the Garden of Eden. If you've never sinned, um, then you can take that up with God. But otherwise, this is our problem which we created. And because sin has corrupted sex, we see that there is now confusion conflict, and uh, we are consumed with sexuality. So confusion and conflict about sexuality, and we are consumed with something which was meant to be a gift. Now, while sex between a man and a woman in marriage is a gift, when sin corrupts that gift, we see the most extreme 
forms of sexual immorality taking place. And you're living in a society where this is happening all around you. So often and so common that you've probably even stopped noticing it. Casual sex with people you barely know is not only acceptable, but it's considered a badge of honor. Um, It's normal and considered acceptable to look at pornography. Adultery is winked at and glorified. Um, And we see that homosexuality is not just accepted, but it's celebrated in this culture. The lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community makes up 4% of the population nationally. Now, many people think it's a lot more than that when they guess. And I saw different surveys where people were guessing 10%. Maybe it's 25%. It's actually 4%, but we think it's more because of how um, overrepresented it is in television shows and in the media. But it's actually about 4%. But then amongst millennials, we see that numbers actually double. It's actually 7 or 8% of millennials that are in LGBT relationships. And I think that that's because the millennial generation is the first generation which grew up in a society that celebrates what is a blatant biblical sin. So how do we get to this place? How do we get to this place as a human race? Well, in Romans chapter 1, we read about the fall of mankind into sin and how that has affected sexuality. And I don't have time to read the whole chapter to you, so that's your homework. Make a note to read Romans chapter 1 this week. But we're going to start in verse 21. And it's talking about people who drift from God's plan and find themselves immersed in sin. It says in verse 21, And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Anytime that we start to twist who God is, darkness and confusion comes into the picture. And and when sin is present, you can guarantee there is darkness and there is confusion. So sexually, we see that darkness is common and and there's all kinds of darkness expressed. um, Promiscuous sex with people that you're not married to, common. And so people, they go from partner to partner having sex, looking for love in relationships and breaking up and starting all over again, essentially practicing to get a divorce someday. Then you see that pornography is commonly consumed, even though it results in the objectification of human beings who God loves and created. But sexual abuse happens so often, and a ridiculous number of young girls are molested. You see that sex trafficking is taking place all over the world. People are literally enslaved for the sexual gratification of other people. This is darkness. And then there's confusion. There's confusion. There's young people today who are confused about their gender identity. People are confused about their sexual attraction. And they're confused about where their self-worth comes from. People think my self-worth comes from my sexual relationships. When in reality your self-worth comes from the fact that you were created by a loving God and made in his image. And then we see in verse 22, it says, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. I mean, the Bible says that when we drift away from God and we go down our own path, it leads to us becoming fools. And we're warned, we're warned. But we see this all the time in society, that modern man, he's so self-enlightened and self-righteous, right? You see how the modern self-enlightened man, how he pats himself on the back and says, we are so wise. And in reality, 
It's foolishness. I think about atheists, and I've had several atheist friends over the last few years, and, and, and you know, they'll say, I don't believe in God. And they'll say, well, I'm too smart for that. I'm too smart to believe in fairy tales. And I say, I do believe in God. And they said, oh, do you believe in the tooth fairy as well? It's like, I don't know, but I got quarters under my pillow when I lost my teeth. That's some evidence, right? And so I'll ask my friends, okay, well, where did you think life originated? Pfft, not God. Well where, well, where then? Aliens, obviously. <laughs> common, common answer. Okay, I found this article in Psychology Today, and I laughed out loud when I read this. There is academic research published which shows that over 50% of atheists have confidence that UFOs and aliens are real. They're saying, they're saying, it's so foolish to believe in God, but with no evidence. In fact, it said 93% of all atheists are open to the idea that UFOs and aliens are real. But they say that we're ignorant and foolish for believing in God. I, I just wanted to point that out because claiming to be wise, we read, they instead became utter fools. And sin will lead you to think you're wise while you're foolishly driving off a cliff. And then sexually, we see this play out. The people talk about sex now, that anything goes. And they're so, they're so self-enlightened when they talk about it. They'll say, oh, we used to be so old-fashioned and closed-minded and bigoted. But we're smarter than that now. Now we know it's okay to do whatever you feel like. Right? That's how they talk. It's the same, it's the same kind of pattern of, of behavior that we see in what's described in Scripture. And then it goes on to say in verse 23. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds and animals and reptiles. Um, and, and that's really where a lot of our problems with sin are rooted at. It's that we have idols in our lives. Do you have any idols in your life? Anything in your life that takes the place of God, anything that comes before God could be an idol. Right? Maybe you don't have a little wood statue or a little rock statue in your house, but you might have idols. For some people, money is an idol. For some people, food is an idol. For some people, sex is an idol. For some people, their kids are their idols. They worship their kids. And so when their kids leave the house, they have no sense of purpose. Sex has become a god for so many people, and that's why we have so many problems with sexuality. I've met guys who I've talked to about Jesus and explain that Jesus loves you and he wants, to, he wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to forgive you of your sins. And, and I've talked to guys who've been like, oh, that sounds pretty good. So, okay, great. Do you want to accept him? Well, wait a second. Does that mean I need to stop sleeping with my girlfriend? If so, not interested. See, this is someone who has made sex a God in his life. A woman who lives out the sexual fantasies in her mind to feel desired and romanced has made sex a God in her life. God wants to be the one that makes you feel desired. God wants to be the one who makes you feel cherished and pursued. The person who rejects God because God does not condone his or her sexual orientation has made sex his God. Sex is more important than God's opinion for this person. Sex, it is a gift from your God. But sex is not a substitute for your God. You don't want to accept this gift and reject the gift giver. 
If you do, you're going to find that you have all kinds of problems and all kinds of heartache because you won't be using the gift the way that it was intended to be used. So that's why it's so important that we enjoy this gift within the confines that God designed. A man and a woman married, enjoying what God gave as a gift, free from this typical abuse and darkness and shame that we see, which is so common in our society. Here's what it goes on to say, and this progression of sinfulness continues. Verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. Verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with, men, or with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of the sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. So this passage, it completely, it's evident that this is describing homosexual behavior. And we're living in a day and a time when Christians don't even know what to think or what to say anymore about homosexual behavior because we hear so much from the gay community. We see so much representation from the gay community in television shows and there's gay parents on Disney Channel shows that kids are watching and you've been told that this is normal and it's acceptable and it's completely good when in reality what we read in scripture is it's actually just the conclusion of a long path away from God and deeper into darkness and sin. So many Christians don't know what to think. The cultural push to normalize this behavior, which is biblically clearly sin, has been so strong that churches don't even want to talk about it. Pastors don't want to talk about it. And I'll be honest with you, I even feel nervous to talk about this because there's so much potential backlash and anger. So you can pray for me right now. Thank you. Many Christians will avoid discussing this topic. Many young people go to school and, and they're essentially conditioned to accept homosexuality and be taught, they're taught that it's a good thing. It's a normal lifestyle choice. Too many Christians have exchanged the truth about God for a lie, like we just read. They've exchanged the truth for political correctness and social acceptance. People who are trapped in homosexuality, they have been deceived by our enemy, Satan. They've been deceived by lies. That's really what it comes down to. And yet, if we come and bring the truth, many of you have found this. If you bring the truth of what God says in his word, you can oftentimes experience very harsh backlash. Being told that you're ignorant or a fool or a bigot. You might be mocked. You might be attacked. You might be sued. So you'll hear kinds of objections and you'll hear different types of questions when you tell people what God says clearly in his word. You'll hear questions like this. Who are you to say who I can love? And that's one of the messages that's so prevalent in the gay community. Love is love. Let people love who they want to love. Who are you to say who I can love? Well, let me tell you what. First off, foremost, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what God says. And God, God says in his word that we can actually love everyone. He tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. He says that we should love everyone. But listen, love does not equal sexuality. 
God says we should love everyone. That doesn't mean that it's okay to have sexual relations with anyone. Jesus Christ, who was the perfect manifestation of God's love to us, he never had sex. Right? Think about that. He was the one who brought the most perfect and complete and unconditional love to humanity, and yet there was no sexuality involved. God does clearly tell us how sex is to be enjoyed, that it's supposed to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in marriage. People in this lifestyle, they'll say, well, this is who I am. I I didn't choose this. I was born this way. And, And that's a powerful message which has led many people into confusion and they don't know what to say anymore. It's been an effective message. Even Christians will start to ignore what is said in the word of God because they believe and they buy this message. Well, people are born this way. They can't help it. There's been a a lot of messages which come out of the gay community which are meant to condition all of us to view it as an acceptable lifestyle choice. And yet science does not support many of these statements. Did you know this? Let me me share with you some information I found in the New Atlantis Journal, which is an academic journal of science and technology. This is not a Christian publication. But this is research which was published last year by secular professors who are actually uh, pro-LGBT and have been advocates for them. But yet they published this research, and when they did last year, they got all kinds of attacks thrown at them. And here's what they found. That sexual orientation, the idea that it's innate and genetic, that you can't control it, that it's like being left-handed or right-handed. In other words, that people are born that way, is not supported by scientific evidence. The belief that gender identity is a fixed human property that can be independent of biological sex uh, so that a person might be a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body is not supported by scientific evidence. Most children who express atypical gender behavior and thoughts will not continue to do so into adolescence and adulthood. And so they should not be encouraged to become transgender, receive hormone therapy, or surgery. Again, this is being uh, reported by secular researchers. The LGBT people, here's another thing, have higher rates of mental health problems, which include anxiety, depression, and suicide, as well as behavior and social problems compared to the general population. Behavior and social problems like, like substance abuse and domestic abuse. And what they said was that discrimination alone does not account for this disparity. So what you see is that this message which comes out of the gay community is not even supported by actual science. And I think it's so sad when I read about this that that people in the LGBT community are suffering with higher levels of stress and anxiety and depression and suicidal thinking. And yet Satan has so twisted their minds to get them to self-identify as gay, a word which means happy, while they suffer with depression and suicidal thoughts and anxiety. And I think Satan is laughing himself all the way to the pits of hell because he loves lies, he loves to deceive, and he loves to see us destroyed. People in the gay community will say the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality. Well, you've already seen one example tonight that is blatantly clear, but there are over dozens of examples, and there would be more, I believe, but it wasn't even a controversial issue amongst the people of God, and it wasn't even disc- needed to be, didn't need to be discussed because it wasn't debated in the first century church whether or not homosexuality was a sin, and in fact, nobody even debated this issue until just a few decades ago. 
So that's why God doesn't say more about it, but what he does say is very clear. No, make no mistakes. The homosexuality, which we've been told, if you're part of my generation from birth, is normal and acceptable, is clearly described as sinful behavior in the Bible. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive people or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So again, we see clearly this behavior is identified as sinful, and yet people in the gay community will say, well, that's not what it actually means, and they'll try to explain it away. I mean, it's insane, the desire to foolishly explain away which God is so clear about and so true. His word is so true and so, is so clear what he says. And now I know that now you read that verse, and it talks about who won't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, hopefully, you've been paying attention. And the reason I'm talking about homosexuality tonight is because so many people in the church are so confused about this issue. I think that there was a time when the church talked about homosexuality too much, and they focused on it too much. But now I think the pendulum is swung the other way, and there are many Christians, because they don't read the Bible and what the Word of God actually says, they have been easily manipulated by the message of the world. So now I think it's important to talk about what the Bible says tonight so that we can be reminded of the truth. You know, we read that passage, who will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, there was a lot of people who were listed, right? We read about, we read about people who worship idols, commit adultery, and the practice homosexuality, but also thieves, greedy. Last week on this stage, I told you that I stole stuff. <laughs> greedy people, drunkards, anybody party in college? Abusive people, Cheaters. Anybody ever cheat on their taxes? None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So I know a, a, a person in the LGBT community, a gay man, might say, you're comparing me to thieves and greedy people and drunkards and abusers and cheaters? How terrible. And I would say, I'm not comparing you to them, but God is. God is the one who sets the standard. So here's, here's the question now. How should a Christian love people who practice homosexuality, bisexuality, or transgender behavior? Here's how we should love them. We should love them the way that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us with truth and with grace. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came from the Father full of truth and full of grace. So that's what we need to do. We need to bring truth and grace to this world as followers of Jesus. We need both truth and grace. Very important. If you only have truth and you never give grace, it's cruel and it's harsh and it feels like people are beating you up. If you only give grace and you never get truth, people can never see the light and they can never be set free from bondage. So we need truth and grace. Amen. So here's the truth, and I need you all to understand this tonight and carry this truth. If you believe the Bible is true, here's what you go. Okay, homosexuality is a sin. It is a sin. So anyone that is trapped, and I say trapped in this lifestyle, has been trapped by a web of lies. And yet when we tell them this truth, if they ask, I wouldn't go around just telling people, oh, hey, you're sinning because we all sin, right? 
But if someone asks you, hey, do you, does, does you, do you believe what the Bible says? The Bible says a homosexuality is a sin? I would say yes, I do. But the truth is that I would tell someone who's practicing a gay lifestyle, I would say, your main problem is not homosexuality. Because that's just one of many sins in your life. Your main problem is your status before God as a sinner. Which all of us have the status before God as a sinner before we've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So, so really the main problem that all of us have is we're sinners in need of a Savior. We need Jesus. So that's, that's the truth. Listen, the goal of God is not that gay people would stop being gay. God's goal is that people would give their lives to Jesus Christ. Okay, here's, here's some more truth. People in this lifestyle will say, this is who I am, right? You'll hear the way even they talk, I am gay. This is the great lie which Satan tells this community. He tells them, you are defined by your sexuality, he gets them to self-identify based on their sexuality. I am gay is what they say. And so because of that, they feel like, well, I can never give my life to God because it would require me to not be who I am. Really, the problem is they have been deceived by the devil who wants to destroy them. So what I would tell anybody who is practicing homosexuality, I would say, you are not defined by your sin. You are not defined by your sexual attractions or your feelings or your behavior. You are defined as a person based on your status before God. And listen, your status is either sinner or child of God. You can continue on separate from God or you can give your life to the Lord and accept Jesus and have your status changed. That is where our identity comes from, am I right? It's not based on being a father, a parent, a worker, an employee, a boss, being rich, being poor. All those things can change throughout your life. The status that is truly yours, where your identity truly comes from, is as a child of God and a part of God's family. So I, I would really strongly push back on that idea. And, and see, I've had, I've had friends and I've heard people talk about being gay and, and knowing I'm a pastor and that really, I believe what the Bible says. I've heard them use this phrase. They'll say, you can't pray the gay away. I, mean, I got to give a hand to it. It's a very catchy phrase. I like it, honestly. I mean, rhymes and everything. But, but honestly, the idea behind that statement, I actually agree with, believe it or not. Because the idea behind that statement is that religion can change who I am. And that's not true. Religion has never changed anyone. So I'd be, I'd be honest. i say, I don't believe you can pray the gay away, but I believe that Jesus Christ can take your sins away, and he can change you. He can transform your heart. He can change your desires in a way that you could never imagine. And, and we know that that's true because the Apostle Paul who wrote this passage when he was describing different types of sinful behavior and he said, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse 11 of that chapter speaking to his church in Corinth and he says, some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that. The church has always been filled with sinners who are saved by grace, who have been transformed by the power of God. 
And many of us in this room, we would say, I, I was like that. But here's what he says, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. It's the Holy Spirit which transforms us into a new creation. See, we as Christians, a lot of times, if we're being honest, man, a lot of you, you, you love people and, and maybe you have friends who are gay. Maybe you work with people who are gay, or there's people in your family who, who are in gay relationships. And so we want to often avoid telling the truth because we're taught that that's intolerant. That's what we're taught. It's intolerant. It doesn't seem nice to tell someone that they can't have what they want. That's what our whole culture is driven by, the idea that whatever feels good, you should do, that you should have whatever you want. But this is not the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the most loving and compassionate person ever, he says something different in Matthew 16. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And there's been times in our lives when we've struggled and wrestled to give things to God and to surrender completely to him. But we're, we're asked by Jesus himself, is anything worth more than your soul? Is your sexual desires worth more than your soul? Are, are your finances worth more than your soul? All of those things will fade away, but your soul is eternal. So what you do with it is what truly matters. Every Christian, every single Christian, not just gay people, every Christian is called to give up your own way to take up your cross, which essentially means I'm going to die to myself the way that Jesus died on a cross. I'm going I'm to die to myself and I'm going to follow Jesus. And he says that by giving up your old life, you actually find it. You actually find life. And there's been many people who were part of gay community, the gay community or gay relationships, who have experienced the life-changing power and transformation that only God could do in their lives, who have been transformed and their sexual attractions have changed, or they've even been given strength sometimes to continue living and following Jesus in celibacy. But either way, there, it, it is possible to gain victory over something like sexual attraction and confusion and desire. Now I know a lot of us we wrestle with we don't want to be the one that brings bad news. We don't want to have to tell people that hey this is a sin and it's, it's not what God wants for you. It, we don't want to have to to be controversial right and yet it is our job as Christians to bring truth to the world. And I think about um, this passage I found which was written by Beth Moore and she wrote she writes devotionals. Some of you have read her devotionals and she, she was talking this week about this, and I thought it was really interesting. She said, nothing blurs what we know to be true like what we wish to be true. And I've thought about how many times we'll think as Christians, man, I wish the Bible didn't say this, right? It seems so harsh. I wish the Bible didn't say this. We think it's always simple to distinguish between the two, but it's not. There are things I wish to be true. I read the scriptures and beg them to be true. I hold the page this way and that, but I can't make them true. I come back to the same thing in my tears and grappling. Do I think myself kinder than Christ? Better? Wiser? More loving? Is his way not life? My tender heart would talk you right out of denying yourself, 
taking up your cross and following Jesus and right out of finding your life. In our own thinking, we're being loving, we're being compassionate, we're being tender by just telling people, oh, whatever you want to do is fine. And in reality, we're talking them right out of taking up their cross, following Jesus, and finding life. So we're called to bring truth. That's one of the ways that we love. And then we're called to bring grace. Amen? Jesus said, love your neighbor. In the gay community, it's our neighbor. People who are addicted to pornography, they're our neighbors. People who are sexual addicts, or they're our neighbors. People who are in promiscuous relationships, they are our neighbors. So we're called to love all these groups of people, even if they, they don't want your love, even if they attack you or mock you. That's giving grace. That's the way that God shows us mercy and grace. He, he loves us even when we were his enemy. And then another way that we show grace is that we have the standard and, and the message as a church that this church is open to anyone. Right, so, so can a gay person come to this church? Absolutely. They have, and they're welcomed in any time in the future. Any, anybody is, right? So you might, you might be struggling with this issue and be here tonight, or, or you might have a friend who is, and they might come with you sometime. And, of course, you've been coming to this church for a while. You know I don't bring up this issue all the time or go out of my way to talk about it, but there is a time to talk about it. And yet, even as we bring the truth and we don't apologize for it, we say everyone is welcomed, regardless of what sins they struggle with. So... The church, the church is open for broken people, right? And so we, we tell people often, we say, come as you are. God says, come just as you are. You can, you can have gone on a crazy, drug-induced um, rage last night, and you're still welcome to come to church the next day. So come as you are. But listen, here's the message from Scripture. This is what Jesus said. This is what John the Baptist said. It's what it says in the New Testament. Jesus said, repent and believe in me. Right, So Jesus, who went to the sinners and he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and thieves, he says, repent and believe in me. To repent is to turn from your wicked ways and to follow God. Right, So it doesn't mean that you'll never struggle with sin ever again, but it means you're saying, like we read, I'm taking up my cross and I'm following Jesus. I'm going to leave my old way behind. I don't want that any longer. And so you're asking God to change you and to transform you. And I believe that he will because he's so good and he's filled with grace. And that is the ultimate message of this sermon. It's not, well, here are some bad things that you shouldn't do, and then here are some good things that you should do. That's not what any of our sermons or any of our talks are about. The foundation of this message is always we are sinners who are saved by grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because God loves us and we don't deserve it, but we receive this gift. And man, we live in this grace. So come and experience it. That's the message of grace which we should bring to the world. All of us, all of us, all of us are going to struggle with sinful desires. Okay, so anybody here not struggle with sinful desires? If you do, let me know your secret, right? But we all, we all struggle with sinful desires. We, we all struggle with, with, with different types of things like maybe sexual lust or overeating or overspending or gossip 
Or maybe you lose your temper and you're, you have the desire to, to punch someone in the face when they take your parking spot, right? We all have sinful desires. And, and even the Apostle Paul, he wrote in Romans chapter 7, he said, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. Do you ever feel like that? I'm so glad that God put that in the Bible because you start thinking you're crazy and that you're the worst Christian who's ever lived. And the reality is that until we are in heaven with Jesus, we're going to wrestle with sinful desires. So we're all going to be able to relate to the Apostle Paul who said, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do. So how do, we, how do we approach this life where we're going to wrestle with sinful desires? I want to give you just a practical, a practical piece of wisdom that will help you understand this struggle. Whatever you feed will grow, and whatever you starve will die. Okay? You're going to have different types of desires if you're a Christian. The sin that you still wrestle with is going to lead you to desire things of the world, things that you used to want, things that you shouldn't want. But then because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you as a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to cause you to desire the things of God, to desire more of Jesus, to desire his word, to desire what's good. And whatever you feed will grow. Whatever you starve will die. So what you want to do is to feed the right desires and to starve the wrong desires. It says in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Basically, we're reading here in not gentle terms to put to death these sinful desires. If you feed those desires, those sinful desires, if you dabble in those things, if you flirt with those things, if you hang out around those, those things, well, well, then those desires, they grow darker and more insatiable, and many of you have experienced that. So you have to be careful about where you let your brain sit and, and the kind of thoughts that you, stew, that you stew in your brain, you chew on, and you got to be careful what kind of magazines you read and what kind of shows you watch. Not so that you can be a good Christian and get a gold star on your calendar, because, but, but it's that we want to we starve those sinful desires. In fact, we read in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, Flee from sexual immorality. God knows how dangerous sexual immorality is and how uh, when we feed that sinful desire, it, it grows and it becomes a crazier and, and wilder animal that's even more difficult and leads to even darker places. And it's the only sin in this Bible that God says to flee from, to run from. You got someone at work who's flirting with you and leading you into an adulterous relationship? The Bible says, flee from that person. Run out of the break room. No, I don't want to go to lunch with you. Sorry, I can't talk to you right now, right? You got TV shows that are causing you to, to go places in your mind that you shouldn't go. Don't watch them, right? It, it's because we want to we wanna starve those desires, and then we want to feed our spirit with the things of God, amen? The things that God wants us to think about. If you will feed your spirit with what is good and righteous, you will grow in your appetite for righteousness, and it says in Philippians 4.8, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's what we have to do as Christians. We've got to think on these things. 
These are the things that we need to keep our minds set on. That which is good, that which is true, that which is admirable, right? These are the things we want to dwell on, right? I I don't need to let my mind dwell on lust. I do want to let my mind dwell on God's goodness and his faithfulness, right? So maybe you're a guy, you're at the gym, right? And you're tempted to want to stare at someone and and to lust, right? But in in reality, I'm going to put my mind somewhere good. I'm going to, I'm going to say, okay, no, that, that's a daughter of God who was created by God and he loves her and he values. Okay, so you're, you're changing your focus. You're changing where your mind hangs out. And what you'll find is that as you do this, as you feed your spirit with that which is righteous, your appetite will shift. It will. And so maybe you've met someone who's been a Christian for a while, and it seems like they've got their life, man, so put together. And they're such good people, it seems like. And maybe you thought to them yourself, like, oh, I could never be like that. I'm always wrestling with these desires and these things that I shouldn't. But what happened is that person has been setting his or her mind on that which is good, on what God wants, right? And so what happens is the things that you used to want, the things that you used to desire, the sinful things which used to please you lose their appeal. And it's not because you're religious. It's not because you become self-disciplined. But it's because the Holy Spirit of God inside of you is transforming your heart. And he's changing your desires. So rather than desiring sin, you start to desire Jesus Christ. And you want what makes him happy. And you'll find yourself following him and wanting that which is righteous. And you'll think to yourself, how did I get here? Like, how, how do I don't even recognize myself? But it's God who has changed you. He has created you into a new person. Satan wants to come along and lie to you and say, you cannot change. You'll always be who you were. Your past will never be left behind. Everyone knows what you dealt with. Everyone knows what you did. And it's a lie. It is a lie from hell. Because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been made new. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's what you get to declare as a follower of Jesus. I'm living a new life. I'm following Jesus now. I'm not my past any longer. I've been made new. I'm a child of God. I don't have to carry shame with me any longer. I don't have to carry hurt with me any longer. I'm living for Jesus now. I love this. I love this. So we can remind ourselves, I'm not my past. Man, I I was trapped in darkness, but Jesus, he comes in like a light shining in the darkness. And he's changed me. He's set me free. And he wants to set us free. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're wrestling with, he wants to set us free. And he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to know him and his goodness. And he wants to help you in your walk. He wants to help you in your life to experience his best for you. So maybe you have been listening to what we've talked about tonight. And you've been wrestling with some of these things, with sexual sin. And you feel so guilty about it. Man, you don't need to. We're going to deal with that. Maybe you've been, been wrestling with this idea of, of just looking for love and, and going to one, from one sexual relationship to another and giving yourself to people. And really what you want deep down is to just feel loved and valued. You need to know that what you're looking for is only really available through Jesus Christ. 
He is the one who will love you and satisfy you. He is the one that cherishes you, who gave his life for you. So don't look for love from people. Look for love from Jesus. That's the love that you truly want. I just want to have us bow our heads right now. If you're here and you're a Christian and you'd say, man, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I've been wrestling with sexual sin. And, and you know what it is and God knows what it is, whether it's pornography or having sex outside of marriage or sexual attraction to someone of the same sex, whatever that is, God cares about you and he loves you regardless of what you've been struggling with. And he wants to help you grow in this area. And the reason that we don't change is because we hold on to that sin and we cling to it and we feed it. But if you'll decide tonight, I'm gonna stop feeding that. I'm gonna trust God to help me overcome this sin, not by my own strength, but by the Holy Spirit inside of me. I believe that he will help you in this. So right now, why don't you just do this? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to pray out loud, but in your own heart, but for God, just say, God, I need your help. I want your help in this area. I wanna honor you with my life. I'm willing to leave my old life behind and my old desires behind and follow you. I, I wanna make you proud. I wanna do what's right. God, thank you for forgiving me with, for what I've struggled with, God. Thank you for healing me from past abuse. Thank you for helping me to forgive people who've taken advantage of me. And Lord, now help me to serve you and to follow you from this day forward. And I believe that if you mean that in your heart, God will help you with this. And now maybe you're here, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never asked him to forgive your sins and to come into your life and to make you new. Or maybe you did it a long time ago as a child or, and you've just completely wandered away from that. And so maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, well, what I need is to have my relationship with God restored. You can tonight, if you'll just take that step of faith and ask God to come into your life and to forgive you and to change you. The Bible says anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And listen, if you'll give your life to God, if you'll trust him, he will forgive you and he will save you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So maybe you feel God drawing you to him tonight and you want to give your life to him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that and to take that step of faith like so many of us have. If that's you and you say, yes, I want Jesus tonight, then pray this with me in your heart. Just say, God, I need you. I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he rose again, that he's not dead, but that the Holy Spirit caused him to come back to life and give me victory over sin and death. Lord, thank you for loving me even when I don't deserve it. God, thank you for helping me to change, to become more like Jesus in your power. Lord, help me to follow you from this day forward and to leave my old life completely behind where it belongs. I'm following you here from this day forward in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, if you pray that prayer, I wanna celebrate with you just like we always do. And so if you pray that prayer tonight and you accepted Jesus or you prayed that for the first time in a long time, I'm gonna have you shoot your hand up on the count of three. It's always so good when God changes our lives and transforms us. And maybe he did that for you tonight. We wanna recognize that, what God's done in your life. So one, God loves you. Two, three, just shoot a hand up real quick and say, that's me, that's awesome, sir. Anyone else say, that's, that's great, ma'am, I love it. Anyone else say, that's me, just lift it up. It's awesome. Hey, let's stand to our feet. That's awesome, man. I love it. Come on, let's give God praise for he has redeemed us. He has set us free. Come on. He loves us. We thank you, Jesus.